Music. News. Community. Culture. Local. Global. Detroit. This is 1019 WDET. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for tuning in. You're joining us during an hour that's part of our work with the Detroit Journalism Cooperative. We're doing a project called The Intersection. WDET and our media partners are looking at how the findings of the Kerner Commission are relevant today. Here to talk more about this month's subject of racial attitudes are WDET Sandra Swoboda. She's the special assignments manager here. And Lester Graham, who is a reporter at Michigan Radio. Guys, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. As part of this chapter of the project, the DJC commissioned a survey. What was included in that? Uh, It was a survey of racial attitudes. 600 people in the metro area asked about their opinions. Sandy, what did we learn? Well, we learned that things are actually better in the metro Detroit area. How often do we hear that? But things are actually better in the metro area when it comes to race relations, according to our survey, than they are nationally. Uh, Things came back about uh, how how bad or good people think things are, uh, whether they've gotten better in the last 10, 20 years, especially, you know, looking back to 1967, and also how race relations rank as compared to other issues and problems that we face. Yeah. Um, What were some of the surprising things that we saw sort of at the granular level in the in the survey results Lester well I think the big thing is that uh, it might not be surprising but if you live in an all white or mostly white area or a mostly black area you have uh, f- the differences between attitudes about the black experience are much wider now in mixed race areas uh, we found that people who actually intermingle with each other have communication socialize uh, they actually see each other in their own neighborhood yeah, right? yeah. so there, that might not be too surprising uh, we were uh, talking with the uh, guy who conducted the poll at Emic, uh, Epic MRA his name is Bernie Porn uh, and he said uh, he said to us that uh, you know that experience really makes a difference you have 47 percent of young black men saying yes compared to 27 percent of young black women and older black men at 27 percent. So young black men uh, feel much more strongly that yes, this is a this is a problem in terms of uh, being stopped by police, but it's not as pervasive among all African Americans as I would have thought. Well, we're going to jump right ahead there to the discussion about the police and community relations, which was part of the survey as well. Um, Lester, you talked to you talked to Bernie, and um, and we we dug in. Bernie was the pollster, of course, who conducted this for Epic MRA. And one of the things we really looked at in several questions was the difference between how whites and African Americans perceive a lot of in- possible incidents of discrimination. And of course, the big one uh, this summer, this year, this presidential campaign was uh, relations with police. What What did Bernie tell you besides what we just heard him say? Yeah, right. You, know, you, heard, you heard him mention that 40% of young black men say uh, they've been pulled over or harassed by police. Uh, contrast that with the white experience. White men, 7% versus 47%. White women, 3% versus uh, uh, 27% of young black women. So, you know, there's a big difference in how white and black people perceive how they're treated by the police. That's a that's a significant thing. And I think, you know, I think that's why we've been seeing na- nationally uh, some of the protests from Black Lives Matter and other groups. Uh, that's that's 
you know, a serious concern. Yeah. Uh, w- one of the things that, that uh, strikes me about what you were saying just now, Lester, about this, this difference between people who live in segregated communities and people who live in integrated communities is just how segregated Metro Detroit is. I mean, it, we had a map in the Detroit Free Press last week uh, from some researchers showing just how uh, discreet our communities are and when you, when you talk about their racial makeup, that makes it harder to get to this place that you uh, were talking about with Bernie Porn where people know more about each other uh, and therefore have better uh, understanding of uh, where they're coming from. Yeah, you know, th- we talk about 8 Mile a lot. Of course, that's from days gone by. But 8 Miles moved. Uh, it, it's still there. It's just a <laughs> different street. <laughs> right. But yeah, there, there is that big difference between the, the experience of actually having friends or socializing or working with people of a different race uh, than living in an isolated community. I don't have experienced the harassment within the city limits nearly, nearly as much. In fact, it's rare to be, say, to be honest, in the city of Detroit. However, and, and, and part of that may be my age. But in the suburbs, I still I experience racial discrimination when I go out to shop out there. So that was Lamar. Um, as, as what was kind of unique about this survey was what, at the end of the questions, and I want to thank everybody who, who may be listening who responded because it was a little bit on the longer side. But at, at the very end, the pollsters asked the respondents if they would be willing to talk to reporters to get some insight into their uh, opinions and some of the things they said and so that we could ask a few more questions. So I went through the list of phone numbers and Lamar was one who who answered that. And, um, you know, he had some he had he had a little bit more of a negative things uh, things to say, unlike some of the other people. Um, I guess we could hear from Curtis next, who uh, who had a, a different kind of take on things. Yeah. Just the feeling I get when I go, you know, to Detroit, I just feel like it's it looks seems like a much closer community, black and white people hanging out together at the casinos or at Greek Town or at sporting events. And, you know, I couldn't really speak to the everyday lives of people who live there or live in, you know, maybe not so nice areas. That could be completely different than my perspective because I don't live there. Okay, so that was Thomas Smith. She actually lives in Livonia, and I talked to her for a really long time. Um, she's a white woman. She grew up in Metro Detroit. And what I thought was most interesting about that part and why I wanted to play that was because, unlike a lot of people, and, I, and, and this gets into a lot of questions within the survey, but she really understood, like, she had her own observations about things that she was drawing conclusions from, but she also understood that was from her perspective. You know, she said she thinks things are getting better, but that's because of what she's observed when she comes into the city, goes yeah. to sporting events, goes to the casinos, goes to the riverfront. And, and she really, really understood, and I give her credit for that, for knowing that just what she sees is not necessarily the whole picture. And I think we lose that sometimes in our discussions about race. Yeah, well, I mean, in living in a place like Livonia, which is historically, at least, one of the more segregated parts of the community, she does not, I mean, she does not have sort of daily exposure, I, th- I guess, to, to, to people who are different from her, people who do live in the city and, and deal with uh, 
with really different uh, dynamics. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Sandra Soboda. She is WDET's Special Assignments Manager. And Lester Graham, he's a reporter at Michigan Radio. You've joined us during an hour that is part of our work with the Detroit Journalism Cooperative. We're doing a project called The Intersection. WDET and our media partners are looking back to look forward, looking at how the findings of the Kerner Commission 50 years ago are relevant today particularly with regard to racial attitudes. Uh, give us a call. Are race relations improving here in Metro Detroit? Is that what you see around you? Are race relations a major concern still here in Metro Detroit? Is that what your reality looks like? Uh, overall, would you say that racial attitudes in our area are good or bad? How have they changed in the last few decades? How have they changed over 50 years? Call us, 313 577-1019 to join the conversation. That's 577-1019. Let's go to Dennis in Southfield. Dennis, yeah, welcome yeah. to Detroit Today. Go ahead, Dennis. Oh, um, first of all, can you hear me? I'm driving. I can. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, all right. Um, I think uh, overall race relations are okay, but I think it's about perception, what we see and what we interpret from what we see. Let me give you a quick story. Me and four of my friends, we went to Chicago many years ago. And uh, it was we, uh, we got there late, so we're walking. And we get to Michigan Avenue. Uh, I can't remember the side street. And all of a sudden, we hear um, automatic door locks. Click, 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 click. Wow. And I, we thought it was very funny. Um, but then I thought about it. Well, I mean, if you see four black guys wearing leather jackets, all of us standing six feet tall, you're going to naturally lock your doors. If I was one of those people, I would probably would have locked my door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, Dennis, that's a great, I mean, that's a great story. And it's a, it's a very candid admission uh, on your part that, uh, that you might have had the same, you might have had the same reaction. And I, I'm assuming, you know, uh, the, the, the point being that, that it's, it's about, the reaction to somebody of a certain skin color, not necessarily what skin color you are. Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, I live in Oakland County. I've been living in Oakland County for 10 years, and I've never had a problem with the police. I've been pulled over a couple of times because I was speeding. Because um, <laughs> you were breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, but I did not give the perception to the officers that I was going to be mean or belligerent. I, I replied, I listened, and... You know, he knew pretty much, all right, I'm not going to give him any problems. So there was no problem. I think the problem is that I think a lot of the problems that we have is that we see something and our perception automatically uh, um, drifts to the dark side. Do Donald Trump, he made the statements about banning um, uh, Muslims from the country because, no, I'm sorry, no, no. He started with the Mexicans, sure. banning them or building the wall because they were rapists and murderers and everything. That was the perception. And I think for the longest time, we did nothing to counter that perception that he put out. Yeah. And it festered. Yeah. Um, if, Dennis, if, uh, that's a, again, you, you made a series really great points and 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 I really appreciate the call. One thing I would push back on a bit is is I think uh, the the police issue 
with African Americans often is not about how African Americans respond to the police, but uh, specifically how Af- how police respond to African Americans and escalate uh, benign interventions to the point where somebody's on the ground and getting shot or or choked to death. But but uh, but I absolutely appreciate your point of view there, Dennis, and and your call. Go ahead, Sander. Well, it was interesting. We really you know of course we're journalists. There were several different media outlets of the of the Detroit Journalism Cooperative involved in this. We like to talk about these issues. And one of the questions on the survey that we really dug into was that uh, that question about do did did the, we asked if people believed if police treated blacks differently than whites. It was, did they treat them better or did they treat them worse? And w- really only, only, right, showing my <laughs> expectations of this, but like a third of African Americans that responded thought that police treated blacks worse. And so we had, of course, like great pontification about why this might be. And one of the ideas was that maybe this was a difference between suburban and city African Americans, right? A very integrated force in the city of Detroit, uh, a black police chief. And then we dug into that and found it's really about the same. So that didn't hold true. But, I, you know, really, I, I, we were all very surprised that it was a third that thought police in general treated African Americans worse than whites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to Lisa in the thumb. Lisa, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, I, I'm just calling in, you know, I'm, one of the things that truly annoys me is you always assume there's just two races. There are more than two that live well, in we Michigan. we just had a, segment, a whole segment uh, talking about that issue with regard to Arab-Americans. Right, but the lazy. thing that I'm going to say is, honestly, I go to Detroit quite often because I deal with the VA. I'm a veteran. Uh-huh. And quite frankly, whites and blacks both are equally obnoxious and equally rude. Okay? Um, I've been treated absolutely very like nice by some of the African American people down there, and I've been treated absolutely obnoxious by some of them. And the same with the white people down there, and the same with the cops. I do believe that there is a difference in the way the police officers treat different people with different races, because I've experienced that myself. But the problem is that we're too focused on the negative and not treating each other like human beings. It doesn't matter what color we are, what we are. It's we're all Americans, and we all treat each other with respect. Yeah, no, at least right? I don't so think anybody... Absolutely, uh, you know, and sometimes I think that we don't look at the good things that the uh, police officers do. We just see the negative. And I think part of the problem is that we need to have a wider diversity in the police forces of different people, you know, African-Americans, Native Americans, so let me, Americans, everything. Let, let yeah. me ask you this question. Bye. Let me ask you this question, Lisa. You live up in, in the Thumb area. Uh, I believe you said you're Native American. Uh, do, you, do you see a difference between regions here? In other words, uh, yeah. w- go ahead. I, I, I'm, sorry, I, I I'm not comfortable going certain areas north of where I'm at at all because they'll watch us like hawks. I mean, and I, I've experienced the exact same thing when I went out west. I mean, uh, my first introduction to racism was when I was small. I was out in Wisconsin and um, North Dakota and South Dakota with my family, and I ran into this little uh, rest area. I was like five or six years old, and, you know, 30-some years ago. Ran in there and jumped up and down like a little kid did. I say, hey, mister, hey, mister, I got to go to the bathroom. And the guy looked at me and called me a prairie nigger. Okay? Mm. And my cousin, who's also native, was pulling me away. And the guy was absolutely obnoxious to us until his mother, who was... We're both adopted, came in, and mm-hmm. blonde hair, blue eyes, and then his attitude just 
Absolutely yeah. Lisa, Lisa, thanks very much uh, for your call and for sharing that story. Sandra Zubota. I, I mean, Lisa brings up a great point. It is I, absolutely when we talk about race relations and we talk about how we all get along, to <laughs> overuse a phrase, um, <laughs> that, you know, Metro Detroit is an extremely diverse community in terms of race, ethnicity, ages, genders, incomes, you know, you name it. Um, I just wanted to I want to thank Lisa for listening, um, but also just kind of be clear. There's so much to talk about on this issue. We're focusing a little bit today on the survey that we did and and the, we did we surveyed 600 people which was enough to get valid responses yeah. but we just didn't have enough people that they called that picked up the phone that gave us good good and i mean that you know worthy correct right. validatable uh numbers um we only had, you know we had like two percent overall that identified as arab american one percent asian one percent native american so we just we can't draw conclusions from the six people that were part of this survey sure sure uh let's go to uh, sandra in detroit sandra welcome to detroit today Good morning and welcome, uh, and thank you, rather. Uh-huh. Uh, my take on this uh, issue dealing with race, until racism is always going to exist until economic health and living conditions are pl- done equal. Yeah. We didn't have all this black problem, or we had race problems always, but it really became profound when a black man, went into the White House, <laughs> which his ancestors helped build. Yeah. That's another story. Yeah. And then dealing with the police, I find, and I've seen some police incidents where I stepped in uh, uh, myself. I didn't get hurt, thank goodness. They didn't arrest me. But I watched a cop from my window in my living room harass a young man. He didn't realize I was in the window. So I went outside to make sure that he saw that I was watching and then they left these two young men alone. But I find that a lot of these cops, white in particular, and some blacks, because they're acting just like the slave masters' children, too, and descendants, are, want to be insulting, and they have a tendency to want to challenge a black man's manhood. And that's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I and think I there's, a lot, there's a lot of that dynamic in the, in the problem between police and, and the African-American community. You watch these videos that we keep seeing, and you see that dynamic almost instantly kick in. Uh, Sandra, thanks very much uh, for that call. One thing I want to go back to that Sandra was talking about is this idea of economic conditions uh, and how they have gotten worse. One of the sort of ironies of the Kerner Commission is that it, it, it's released at, the, at a time that there is this debate in uh, Washington about how to deal with uh, uh, economic conditions not just for African Americans, but for all poor people, uh, the war on poverty, uh, LBJ's uh, massive uh, social programs that, uh, that that get constructed, but they almost immediately get deconstructed under the Nixon administration, and so 50 years later, we're left we're left with a really uh, similar situation. Yeah, Go ahead, two, two things actually happened at that time. Johnson didn't feel like he had a Congress who could work with him any farther than the Great Society had already gone. Uh, the second thing is because because of the uh, insurrections, the uh, the riots, the uprisings we saw across the nation in 67 and 68, you know, Nixon came in campaigning as the law and order president. And so the Kerner Commission was more or less shelved. Now it's been, uh, you know, it's a subject of study by many university professors and students because it showed so many remedies for racism and for white attitudes toward blacks, uh, but 
not much of anything at all has been done. There have been some, you know, the Fair Housing Act, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act all uh, came about. The other part of that, though, and this is something we got into, is are they enforced properly? I mean, we talked to uh, people, uh, a general question was overall, would you say that race or ethnicity makes it harder to succeed in life, makes it easier, or would you say it really doesn't make a difference? Under that, life is harder because of race of ethnicity. 14% of whites said, yeah, it is because I'm white. And 65% of black respondents said life is harder because of my ethnicity. And then they broke it down into several sections. You know, they say they're followed around in stores. They're treated as if they're not smart. Uh, by a large margin, blacks over whites had that experience in life. I was talking to Professor Joe T. Darden at Michigan State University and he made the point, we can't change those societal things. We can't change people's attitudes in that way. But when it comes to getting loans or where you can get housing or some of the other things that yeah. are supposed to be protected, outcomes, right? Sure. Yeah, that policymakers can have an effect on, uh, those things shouldn't be happening anymore, but they still are. And we know, you know, any of us who've seen a study from the Fair Housing Coalition knows that, that's, that we're still seeing discrimination in housing and in some of these other things like uh, loans and so forth for housing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about racial attitudes in the metro area and the country 50 years after the Kerner Commission report. Stay with us on the phones too. 313-577-1019. That's 313- 1019 We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, Thanks very much for being here. Uh, you've joined us during an hour where we are talking about racial attitudes here in the metro area. WDET and our Detroit Journalism Cooperative Partners are looking back to look forward nearly 50 years after this city and others erupted in violence. What has changed with regard to racial attitudes, which was one of the drivers of that unrest, and what has not changed? 313-577-1019 is the number to join us, 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Hey, Gene, how are you? Not bad. <laughs> it's good to hear from you. Yes, thank you. Uh huh. Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, the members of the journalism cooperative if uh, they believe that the responses of the uh, political and particularly the business community to the economic crisis of the last 10 years that we're still experiencing has actually exacerbated uh, some of the worst aspects of institutional racism. Yeah, great question, Gene. Thanks very much for calling and asking uh, Sandy Sabota, Lester Graham. I think we should do a whole other show on that topic. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? We could talk about that for hours. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think some of the, you know, again, as we saw in the survey, which came back differently than the rest of the country, I think Detroit has been a very unique situation where 
We experienced a more severe housing crisis within the city itself, along with a million other factors that we all talked about that led to bankruptcy, ultimately. Kind of, the you know, one of the biggest urban crises in the, in the decade, arguably the century. So, you know, I think we do feel things differently in Detroit, in the metro area, across all business sectors. Um, if we look at what happened in the auto industry with you know, very secure middle management jobs of I know, secure suburbanites who had never thought they would be, and I'm grossly generalizing here, sure. but that, that economic insecurity was felt across demographics. Um, and not to say all of a sudden, then it was a news story because it was, it, it affected more of the middle class and, and the white audience, uh, the white populations here in the area too. So I think there was some leveling of that and an understanding in the metro area. I mean, this is this is me, you know, right. coming from conversations with friends and things I've covered and written. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, Detroit just seems to feel things a little more than other places. Yeah. Yeah, I think ahead, that uh, I think that uh, you know, the way I like to put it is white middle class uh, were a couple of rungs ahead of the working class black members of society and they got pulled down a rung. And that had never happened to them before, and it caused, you know, some outrage. You know, but to the question, the caller's question, I think a couple of the things, you know, as, as we hear all the time, uh, when the nation's economy sneezes, uh, Michigan gets pneumonia, yeah. uh, and what happens in Detroit uh, really, really is impacted. Of course, we've lost manufacturing to a great degree. But, you know, the two things I think that are holding back uh, Detroit working class folks more than anything else is the inability to have public transportation that will get them to a job. Absolutely. And Amen, Lester. underfunded schools, yeah. which, uh, you know, really reduce the opportunity for them to get the proper education they need to get these higher skilled jobs as we, we continue to see grow, uh, while the working class jobs, the, the le- manual labor jobs are, are less abundant. Yeah. And we've been digging into the results of the, the survey about racial attitudes, but one of the questions that we asked was what, you know, before we even got into that with the respondents was what do you think the biggest issue or problem is and number one and two were schools and public safety schools across demographics for sure yeah uh let's go to matt in monroe matt welcome to detroit today good morning Stephen. thank uh-huh. you uh for the job that you do i appreciate listening to your program uh, just about every day thank you we, we really appreciate that matt <laughs> go well, ahead the, uh, the point i'd like to make is that uh it, I think the main issue is is that uh, we have been supporting race as a social construct um, for generations, and we don't educate or talk about the issue in the proper terminology. Uh, we continue, like the caller from the Thumb area had said, uh, to uh, differentiate and say that there is more than one race. There's only the human race. Right. Everything else is of ethnicity or nationality. Um, it's on our paperwork. It's in our schools. We teach it to our children that there are different races in this world. And if we would just maybe simply take a step back from that, stop using the term race when we're talking about ethnicities and nationalities and stop, and start calling it what it is, is bigotry, hatred, and intolerance. Yeah. Matt, that's a great point. Uh, one of the other things that we've done with the DJC this month on racial attitudes was a live broadcast of the show I host at uh, Detroit Public Television, American Black Journal. Uh, and one of the guests uh, on that show talked specifically about what you're talking about, about how Uh, race is a social construct, but that it is so ingrained in our minds and our brains that we're instinctively uh, reacting to people uh, based on their skin color. Uh, An example she, she, she gave was that it's the same area of the brain that lights up when you see someone 
uh, who's uh, uh, dark skinned or darker skinned as when you see a spider, uh, for instance, something that that sort of frightens you and that uh, uh, that reaction, uh, your reactions uh, from there are often based on that uh, that instinctive sort of uh, reaction. And so uh, that social construct is really important to, to address because that's the way to change that sort of that sort of response or reaction. Matt, thanks very much uh, for the call. One of the conversations I recently had was with a woman named Lauren Hood. She is a diversity yeah. trainer. Uh-huh. She works uh, with corporations, private sector a lot. And one of the problems we have uh, in getting rid of these this race as a social construct is that Nobody wants to talk about it. It's particularly, white people find it very difficult uh, to talk about race sure. itself. Yeah. It, it's just uh, hard for them because that's not what they were taught to do. Now, black folk get to talk about race all the time because that's they are you know they've been Not subject to racism yeah, and right. they've they've uh, you know had to deal with it it's it's something they're comfortable talking with uh, with and about uh, but they're, they're, but white people just have a really difficult time when it comes to that and, and they get very defensive very quickly because it's unfamiliar territory for them yeah. so ahead, i totally disagree with lester i think white people talk about race a lot, uh, you know, again, especially in Detroit, especially what's been in the news, we do it with ourselves. So yes. (laughs) So yes, it is often rare that we have that in uh, mixed company. All right. Uh, Sandra Sabota, WDT special assignments manager, Lester Graham, reporter at Michigan Radio. Thanks very much for being here for this conversation. Thanks Thanks for having having us. us And to the callers, too. All right. uh, You can find more work on the Intersection Project at WDET.org. And you can find all of the work of DJC partners on this series at DetroitJournalism.org. WDET's work with the Detroit Journalism Cooperative is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the Knight Foundation, and the Ford Foundation's Renaissance Journalism Project. That's going to do it for us on WDET Detroit Today today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station.